0: Hello, it's Nick Brown here, Editor-in-Chief of ADC. It's a pleasure, as usual, to be here with Rachel Bethel, our Senior Editor. Hi, Rachel, how's your week been?
1: Hi, Nick. All right, thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Great. Interesting issue this time. I thought we would look at, at three papers um, which are deceptively similar, um, although not appearing to be at first sight. Um, but initially, the thread to tie them together isn't really clear, but uh, delving a bit deeper, there there is a connection. So the first paper addresses whether to give medication. The second paper, whether medication is actually made available. And the third, how to assess whether adequate dosing regimes are followed. So three different settings and three different disease entities with questions that apply to all our practices, I would say, and um, maybe make us think about what is all too easily taken for granted. So the first paper is, Our Children with Prolonged Fever at Higher Risk for Serious Illness? A Prospective Observational Study by Rude Nyman at Imperial University in London, UK, and co-authors from a number of paediatric emergency departments across 12 institutions in nine European countries. They present their findings on the risks of serious bacterial infection, often abbreviated to SBI, in children presenting to the ED with prolonged fever, which was defined as a temperature of 38 and above, at triage or a history of fever in the past 72 hours. The authors enrolled about 35,000 children and compared the group presenting with prolonged fever, which they defined as five days or more versus up to five days, in the context of probability of serious bacterial illness, about ten percent of the cohort, so approximately three and a half thousand of the thirty-five thousand, had had fever for five days or longer. So this is a very common scenario. Essentially, with numbers like this, this is a, a real begging to be read paper. What did you feel were the key points, Rachel?
1: Like you, I think this is a this is a very important uh, paper. I think. Because one of the things that keeps uh, clinicians um, awake maybe at night is, you know, have I sent the wrong child home? Mm-hmm. And the child presenting with fever is a very common scenario. And what this, this paper shows, fortunately, well, the good news is that um, serious bacterial illness, uh, either proven or probable, is uncommon. What the authors showed that in the, in the group with a longer duration of fever, as you just said, uh, five days or more, there were 8.4% versus 5.7% of children with a shorter duration who had either proven or probable or serious bacterial illness. This good news is also the not so good news because we don't really have perfect tools to identify those children that we would, you know, would benefit from antibiotics or other interventions. We would use clinical warning signs, and the authors say those are important, uh, such as looking ill or increased work of breathing, and they were associated with serious bacterial infection, most usually pneumonia. But relying on the absence of warning signs uh, in clinical exam uh, alone, um, they noted, will not suffice to rule out serious bacterial infections. So interestingly, if you combine the absence of those signs with a CRP less than 20, we probably be reassured, so that that sprang out for me.
0: I think that was the headline message. Um, so it's the negative likelihood ratio is good. So negative predictive value is 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 good. Um, obviously, all all these tests, as we know, are on slight rather non-specific. What really also struck me was the variability in performing tests or prescribing antibiotics across the hospitals. We know that there are regional differences in approach and breadth of antibiotic treatment or um, threshold for starting, but even so, this was quite striking. So for instance, um, performing a CRP or white cell count varied between hospitals um, with rates of uh, from 17 to 98%, pretty broad range. So it might be a consideration to form point-of-care CRP to help with the question to treat a child with prolonged fever, with antibiotics, or it might not. But there's something about the duration which should make one think carefully, I think would be a, a reasonable
1: approach. Think carefully. That's uh, For me, it was one of the take-home messages that you, you're not going to have a perfect test. You still need to think. I do wonder about the point of care in CRP testing. Do P's have them to identify whether adults might have pneumonia or not. Uh, so maybe that is one way of trying to reduce our uncertainty, albeit it won't be perfect. Let's move on to the to the next paper then, which is titled "The Effectiveness of." Asthma Preventer Dispensing for Preventing Childhood Asthma Readmissions, a multi-site cohort linkage study by Catherine Chen et al. at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, Australia. We know that preventative inhalers and or leukotriene antagonists are a key component to control asthma. And we know that well-controlled asthma will reduce the need for repeated hospital admissions, might have better lung function, better functioning overall, including going to school, uh, going about their business. And when a child does get admitted, many a times preventive medication, usually steroid inhalers, will be prescribed. But do we know what happened after discharge? So that's the question that the authors pose. So we performed a data linkage study, quite neatly done, connecting hospital to community using electronic health records uh, with routinely collected data by the Victoria Department of Health um, and the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. Now, this cohort study recruited children between three and 18 years who were discharged from one of three hospitals, so a tertiary children's hospital, a metropolitan mixed and a regional mixed hospital. And the authors were interested in the readmissions rate in relating in relation to prevention medication dispensing.
0: I think given that uh, readmission rate is likely to be a pretty good um, proxy for asthma control, we take that as a reasonable assumption. This is very interesting. So what did they find? So um the first thing to say that the readmission rate within twelve months, the index admission was, so essentially third patients were readmitted with an exacerbation, which is quite high. On discharge, 16% were asked to continue their prevent medication, and 10% were newly prescribed. So most children, about three quarters, were discharged without a preventer prescription. Slightly less than half the children with a prescription to continue or start preventers, this is where it gets very interesting, about half of these actually had med- medications dispensed. The corollary, of course, is that about half of them didn't. So somewhere along that chain, a message was lost or not acted upon. So one would think that this might have an association with readmissions, but there wasn't one. However, in in this is for all the children uh, who were prescribed. But a difference was seen, however, in the group of children um, where children were prescribed preventers in the community. So within 12 months of discharge, about half the children who'd been discharged without preventers got preventers prescribed in the community. Here, there was an association with reduced readmissions to hospital. So what's the lesson here, Rachel?
1: Probably something along the lines that it's not just uh, about prescribing, but how prescribing is part of a more um, holistic, wider uh, asthma control offer um, and and the authors suggest that and, and they say that maybe follow up in the community um, has a more hopeless approach which may well be the case closer to home as in closer um, what's um, relevant to uh, the families uh, maybe more contact. when well, there's a, no these are all speculations but other than that, there's also something about uh, quite a high readmission rate uh, for the whole cohort um and a fairly low discharge preventive prescription rate. So one wonders what, what that is about. I was intrigued to um to read that. Uh, so I think these are all questions that um are not pertinent uh, just for this cohort, uh, but in the uh, I think in the uh, in the wider uh, paediatric realm, I think we can we can all ask ourselves uh, these questions about um, when I write something out, uh, is, is that enough? Is there anything more that we need to do? So I'm very grateful that this paper was written. Last, let's go to the paper, Rufampin urinary excretion to predict serum targets in children with tuberculosis, a prospective diagnostic accuracy study by Dr. Tanya Thomas at the University of Virginia and co-authors from several institutions, including the Hadam Global Research Health Research Centre and the Kilimanjaro Clinical Research Institute, both in Tanzania. This does fit in the two other papers that we've just um, talked about. We know that under treatment of serious bacterial infections and asthma, as well as tuberculosis, lead to excess mortality. And sadly, uh, tuberculosis kills about two hundred thousand children every year. There exist effective medications uh, with first line therapy according to the Tanzania national guidelines: a combination of rifampin, isoniazid, pyrazinamide, and ethambutol. But the dosing needs to be right for efficacy. So for rifampin in children, the dosing is fairly crude. It consists of two dosing schemes based on 25 kilo weight cutoff for fixed dose dispersible combination tablets. They also sought to enable a more personalized dosing regime by assessing urine spectrophotometric testing in relation to predicted peak rifampin levels, The latter being associated with a better therapeutic potential and prevention of acquired resistance. Spectrophotometry is a more accessible modality rather than the specialised cold chain preservation dependent, which is important in high temperature countries uh, without necessarily access to continuous electricity. Serum high-performance liquid chromatography, ultraviolet absorbance or mass spectrometry. Here the authors looked at something that is potentially more simple and accessible um, and reliable, uh, especially in low- and middle-income countries. I
0: agree. I'm really glad you chose this. This was a complex PK study, which was very elegantly written out of many of us, the, 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 the comfort zones of, of, of many of us. But there's an important or several important messages here. Essentially, in some instances anyway, um, the the, the broadband dosing Approach don't necessarily achieve the target one hopes for, um, but this this flags the potential importance of personalised dosing um, and how it might in the future be achieved. So subtherapeutic dosing in this instance is likely to just worsen the um, current multi drug resistance TB issue that that's already there, and this is. A neat way of showing it because this was directly observed treatment. So there are no issues of compliance. Um, it did what it said on the tin, literally, and suggests that in the future, the rifampin dose could be increased um, and given within a good, a reasonable safety profile, enabling it to be more targeted, simply. So I think this is a worthwhile step to um, moving to a more efficacious dosing regime, um, improving mortality and morbidity and the multi-drug resistance issue that is well known so just to recap the first paper centered around whether to treat the second paper whether the intended treatment was able to be given and the last around whether we can more easily detect whether the doses we give are within the intended therapeutic exposure really interesting discussion and um Fantastic you found such a thread between you. There's lots more in this issue we'd like to discuss, um, but we'll leave it at that for this evening. Thanks so much as always, Rachel. For all of you who are regular listeners, you'll know that the podcasts are available on a a variety of platforms, Apple, Spotify, and more. Um, And of course can be accessed on the site, adc.bnj.com with all the other papers both in this August issue, as well as uh, the recently released online first papers. As always, it's been a pleasure talking. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's bye for me.
1: Bye for me, and thanks, Nick.
0: We'll talk to you all again in a few weeks' time.